beneath the cleansing flood. Please be seated. Amen, amen. So if you notice the change up here, we've got some uh, Incredibles, <laughs> some Incredibles tissues. Now, if I don't know if that's to uh, point out the theme of our series here, or they're here because I have a tendency to cry <laughs> from the stage. I'm not sure why, why they're here either way, but I'm going to take them because I may need them. So um, that's a good touch here by the team. Hey, before we get started this morning, um, just to let you know, we are landing the plane on this series the Unexplainables, and uh, beginning September 16th, uh, a new series called The Making of a Disciple. The Making of a Disciple. We throw that word out a lot, don't we? To make disciples. We need to be making disciples. We need to be disciples. And sometimes I wonder if we even know what it means. It's just something we say. It can be just lingo. And so we're going to dig in for a few weeks on what does it mean to be a disciple? How do we make disciples? How do we live like disciples of Jesus? So that's coming up September 16th. If you told somebody that you're a follower of Jesus and they don't know what this means, this is a great opportunity for you to invite them where they can come in on a new series and learn what we mean when we say we follow Jesus. We are his disciples who make disciples. So this is a great opportunity coming up September 16th. But in the meantime, we are in a series called The Unexplainables. The Unexplainables. This is a series that we've been going through, and this is through the book of 1 John. And this series, we've uh, looked at this big idea the whole way through this series, which is the supernatural power of God is truly unexplainable, but it's livable. They're superheroes with superpowers, and you and I may never have a superpower. But being someone who follows Jesus, whose spirit of God lives in, his supernatural power is calling us to be something more than just a superhero. More than being one of the incredibles, it's to be the unexplainables. And it's a livable thing. And so John is carrying us through this whole entire series through the summer of what that looks like. Today we're going to be in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. So I invite you to turn there if you have scripture with you this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, uh, as we've said each and every week, uh, John, by the time he wrote this letter, is an old man. He was one of, uh, one of the guys that followed Jesus around, was, was Jesus' beloved um, in many ways. We probably think at least John believed he was Jesus' favorite, <laughs> you know, if he wasn't or not. And uh, many people think John was his youngest follower uh, out of the 12, and, and yet he lived with Jesus, and then he walked with Jesus, and then he followed Jesus uh, and uh, church history tells us even that John at one point was such a radical for Jesus uh, that they tried to boil him and uh, nothing happened to him which really, you know, really freaked out the Romans so they sent him to the island of Patmos and then God gave us another book uh, through the revelation that he gave to John so that's an amazing thing about John and he's writing as a wise, wise old man leading the church a long time to his people telling them how to live lives as those who follow Jesus. So let's look in here. John, 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Pray with me, if you would. Father, we just thank you so much for the victory that we have in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we sing about it, as it resonates in our hearts, even now we come to your word We come to hear from you. Lord, I would ask that you would silence the things that would distract us in this time and that we would have hearts and ears open to what it is that you want us to learn. Lord, allow each and every word that comes out of my mouth to be of you and, and to fall on hearts that are ready to be transformed by your spirit so that we leave here differently than we did when we walked in. And that our Monday would be informed by our Sunday. And that people would see the difference in us this week as we go to school, as we go to work, wherever we go. And they would ask, what's the difference about you? What is it it that is so different about you? And we get to tell them that our unexplainable lives would be an opportunity for us to share with them about the Savior of the world. That's why we're here, Lord. So we give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the... One of the things about superheroes that's kind of a thing we all know about superheroes is that most of them have a secret identity, right? Most of them live one life and have another life. It's a secret identity. The one that I can't figure out through all of superhero time, and even when I was a kid and would watch superhero movies, uh, was the secret identity of uh, Superman, which was Clark Kent. I mean, could there be a worse secret identity? I'm just saying, like, he doesn't wear a mask, right? Like, let's just do a little trick today, okay? So this is Dan up here, right? All right, now, pull my hair down in front of my... Do you recognize me? I'm a superhero now, right? I mean, seriously, all the dude did is took his, took his glasses off and combed his hair back. It's a crazy secret identity. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I always had a problem with it. Am I the only one? I mean, it's just silly. She's like, Lois Lane, you can't recognize the guy that you love when he puts glasses on? Come on. I mean, secret identity, it's a silly one. But, but, you know, I know, I'm too much. But, you know, the thing about me was that um, when I would grow up and I see the secret identity, I I would pick on it like that. But I also lived in many ways with a secret identity personally. Um, something about something about me you may not know is uh, I've shared before I was a pastor's kid and um, I was pretty much a pro at, a, at having an, a secret identity and what I mean by that is I would always adopt the behavior of people around me because I didn't quite know who I was I would so when I was in high school you know I was uh, I was a jock, so I played on many, many different sports teams, and so when I was around the guys in the locker room, and when I was around the guys in the field, I was one guy, and I talked one way, and I had a personality there, but then if I went to church, and I was with my youth group friends, and the people that knew I was the pastor's kid, I was another guy, 
And I acted a different way around them. And, and you know, they, I would, you know, talk about Jesus. But I would never talk about Jesus to share my faith in the locker room, just at church where it was safe, you know. And then I was also a musician, so I played in a garage band during the grunge years. Yeah. So I had, you know, so I, so I would play in, the, play in this garage band. And when I was with my band guys, who most of the band, band, band members weren't jocks, they weren't Christians, I acted like a different guy. And acted in a different way because, you know, I had these different lives. And I would, I would have these different lives depending on where I was. And if teenagers, if you're with me this morning, sometimes this can catch up to you. Because sometimes you talk like you do in the locker room in front of your parents. And you have one of those moments where it comes out and you're like, oh, my, oh, no, what do I do, right? This is this, is this different, different identity depending on who, who I was, where I was. And this is the difficult thing. I had to really sometimes, I mean, it was exhausting. Sometimes I had to try to figure out, okay, where am I? What do they know about me? What do I share with them? How am I supposed to act? What's accepted in this? You know, this is common to teenagers when they're trying to figure themselves out where they live in this world. And the very common truth behind all of this is that when you don't know your identity, you're always trying to manage your behavior. When you don't know your identity, you're always trying to manage your behavior. When you don't know who you are, you're always trying to figure out how do you act depending on how people think about me in this area and that area. Now, before we just say it's the teenagers, let's be honest. As adults, we can do the same thing. We can have a different persona here at at church. We can have a different persona when we're around work buddies. We can have a different persona when we're around the buddies that we had or the the, the women that we we were friends with in college before we were believers. We can have this different persona where we're at. You know how I know this, that we can do this really well? It's because my favorite thing to do is when I go golfing by myself and they pair me up with someone, not tell them what I do. And then after three or four holes of the person not praising God after each bad shot, but doing something completely different, the conversation comes up. So what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. It's amazing. The next 14 holes are completely different. (laughs) Right? It was the same way I was a police officer. If people knew I was a police officer, I'm sure they drove in a different way than if they didn't. You with me? We manage our behavior. And the problem with that is that sometimes this way of living, this way of managing who we are, depending on where we are, not knowing who we are, can destroy our spiritual lives too. It can not only be just a funny problem to laugh at, it can be a spiritual problem. Some of you, if you're a non-believer, if you're here today, and you're not even sure about following Jesus, this is the problem you have with Christians, Because Christians profess to be something, to follow someone, and then they do something different someplace else. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and do another thing. Yeah. It's a struggle for all of us to live into who we are and our identity. And this is really what today is all about. This word, identity. Who we are in Christ changes everything. And if you don't know who you are, you're always trying to manage your behavior. Listen, it's one thing for a superhero to have a secret identity, right? It's another thing for a Christian and their identity in Christ to be a secret to them. I'm going to say that again. It's one thing for a superhero to have a secret identity. It's another thing for a Christian's identity to be a secret to them. And God doesn't want that. 
John's writing to us today. He's telling us who we are throughout this entire book. He's been telling us who we are and how our behavior is supposed to be unexplainable, how our behavior is informed by who we are. So let's take a look again at these words that John shared with us in his letter. John says, everyone who believes, that's going to be important later, who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We could stop right there and I could preach the entire sermon on that sentence. John says, when you believe in Jesus, when you believe that he's the son of God, you are born of God. That's why we say, that's why we use that phrase, are you born again? You are regenerated. Your heart is transformed. No, like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can't go into your mother's womb and be born again, but spiritually, you are transformed. You are regenerated. You are made new. You are a new creation. You have been born of God. You become a son. You become a daughter of God, a co-heir with Christ as soon as you put your faith in Jesus. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So not only are you somebody new, but you're brought into a new family. Dick preached about this a few weeks ago. And that you love your brothers and sisters. You have a tie. We have a tie together as a family that's different than what we have through our blood family because we love each other because we're all part of this new family in Christ. We have been born of him. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual one. We are born again. And he goes on, he says this, by this we know that that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. So let's follow John's ideas here, okay? He says, first of all, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're born of God. You're a new creation. You're one of his sons, one of his daughters. Not only that, but if you love him and you follow him and you put your trust in Jesus, you love the other people who have done the same and they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only that, if you want to know, we've talked about this throughout the series, if you want to know if you truly love God, you, you love his children, you love other believers, and you obey his commandments. So right relationship with God, right relationship with others leads to a behavior that is right, that you obey his commandments. And John, whether you recognize this or not, I hope it's been explicit throughout the series, that unexplainable life that we live is life in obedience to God's commandments. That's what makes us unexplainable, that we have a life that's ordered in a way that's different from the world, that we've surrendered our lives to a Lord that's different from the Lord of this world. And so John's told us what these commandments are. First of all, he says that, uh, first of all, he says that we keep his commandments. He's just said that to us. He's also said that in John 2. I put these references up there for those of you that want to check these out, but this is what he's been saying all along. If you're born of God, you obey his commandments. You keep his commandments. You walk as Christ walked. If you love him, you live and walk the way that Jesus did. Your life looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like to obey his commandments. You don't hate others, but you love them. At one point, I would have thought that that truth about being a follower of Jesus would have been obvious. But these days, I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, to be a follower of Jesus, one of his commands is you actually don't hate people, you love them. Even when they're different from you. You don't love the world. That was, a ser- that was one of these sermons in this series. That are ambitions. That are appetites. Remember those? 
There's things, that, the seeking of approval of others. Those things that drive us don't drive us anymore. Instead, we seek him and him only. We confess Christ and we receive him in our life. We practice righteousness. We, we're right with God and we do those things which are right with God. That's what it means to obey his commandments. We stop sinning. Yeah, you stop sinning. If you're, you follow Jesus, you stop sinning. That's what it means to be unexplainable. You possess God's spirit. He's saying that a mark of someone who follows Jesus' commandments and for God's commandments is you possess his spirit. You listen and follow the apostles' teaching. That was last week. You align it. You don't just hear the word, but you live out the word. This is what it means to love God and to follow his commandments. And, you know, those are all really good things. But I've got to be honest, this, this type of, uh, this list, if we think about it, is pretty overwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, being unexplainable could sound overwhelming, as you walk through these all, you think to yourself, wow, okay, well, obviously, I can't be born of God because I'm not hitting all the things on this list. But John, I think, knew that we were going to catch on to that. I think the Lord knew that. And this next line helps us with this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, all of those. And then John says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. What? <laughs> that list sure seemed burdensome to me, right? But there's something about John, something John wants you to say. Some, see, he wants you to see in this passage that to follow Jesus, to love God, to believe he's the son of God, to love others, and to obey his commandments, the mark of those who have a new identity, who are born of God, is to follow his commandments. When you know who you are in Christ, the natural outflow is to obey God and follow his commandments. And if you and I wrap our head around that, that sometimes feels impossible. But then John goes and says that it's not burdensome. That there's something different about following Jesus. And if we follow Jesus the way that he wants us to follow him, that we're not burdened by it. In fact, going back all the way back to the week one, there's unexplainable joy from following his commandments. By living the way that he's called us to do that's different from all of what this world offers to us. No, they're not burdensome. And for the, for the Hebrews that are listening to this, reading this, the Hebrews that sat under John's teaching, they would have heard that and they would have remembered what it felt to be like in a burdensome relationship with the Pharisees, the scribes, over 600 laws that you had to keep. And the religious teachers of their day, the day that Jesus walked in the sea, lording them over them. Men, you know, Jesus telling the parable, Pharisees who would go into the, the temple and pray, oh, I'm so glad I'm not sinful like the rest of these people because I'm so holy and righteous. And the way that Jesus described this as he was teaching this, he was saying that the law, the way that the people would try to follow God, was so burdensome he called it a yoke. Now, I'm in Lebanon County, so I shouldn't have to describe what a yoke is, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay? It's this wooden beam that would go over the shoulders of an ox to help them carry or pull a load. You know what I'm talking about, that thing? Yeah. So what Jesus would talk about this, he would say that to follow God's commands for somebody pre-Christ sometimes felt burdensome. The, lo the yoke was heavy. 
It was a load that was so hard to pull. And Jesus said something about following him, believing in him, having a new identity in him that was different, completely consistent with John. In one of his teachings, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, he says this, Come to me, all of you, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He goes on, he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Yeah, there's something about this Jesus, something about living in him, something about understanding who you are that your behavior, your obedience to God isn't a burden, it's a joy. There's something about it that's not burdensome, it's light. It's easy. You find rest there. You're no longer striving. You're no longer surviving. You're actually thriving in a life with God, walking by the Spirit. It's not burdensome, it's an invitation. John is saying that your new birth is something that gives you a brand new nature, and through that nature, you have done something even more than no longer being burdened by following God. He even ups the ante beyond that. He says, not only is it not burdensome, but you have overcome the world, and you find victory when you understand who you are and you follow Jesus. Look what he says. For everyone who has been born of God, there it is. This is your identity. This is who you are, a new believer in Christ. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Everybody should be standing up and cheering here. John says if you follow Jesus, if you believe in him, not only are you filled with his spirit, not only are you love every, do you love other people, not only do you obey his commands, but the world and all that it has, all of its problems, all of its struggle, all of it has been overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world before we get there. It's interesting to know that this word overcome and victory are the same Greek word. So this sentence could be, and this is the victory that's victorious over the world. It's that word, and you know what the word is? I love this. You know what the word is for victory, overcome in Greek? Nike. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, yeah. It's the same Greek word. It's this idea. It's also the Greek goddess of victory, speed, and strength. I think that's probably why the shoe company used it, not because of John. But, the, but the, the following of Jesus not only is not burdensome, but it's victory. It's living in a place where you're always feeling like you can overcome the world, like nothing can get in the way of what God has to offer you. And John says, this is the victory. This is what gives you the power to have victory. This is what gives you the place where you're no longer burdened by the law. This is what allows your brand new identity to lead to a behavior that is different from anything else, that is light, that is easy, that is rest, that is joy. This is it, our faith. You expected it to be something more, didn't you? Wait, wait, I don't have to do more than that? No, the starting point is your faith. The starting point is whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's our faith. How does all this happen? 
How does following Jesus, how does having a behavior that's in line with God's commandments happen? How do I live as a brand new Christian? How do I live as a new creation? How do I become a son? How do I become a daughter? How do I live in victory and joy and peace? How do I have it? Faith. Our faith. Our faith. The gift of grace from God. And the rest of the scripture is very, very clear on this. I want to read this very quick to, quickly to us this morning. Let's turn to John. If you have your scripture, if not, I invite you to listen. John 6. John 6 is really interesting. In John chapter 6, not the first, not first John, obviously. John chapter 6. Jesus had just had a bunch of people around him, and, he, and uh, 5,000 of them came, and they were following him. They were listening to his teaching, and somebody got hungry, and the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, hey, people are hungry. We need to send them away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. This is not in the Bible. This is the Dan version. I mean, it's in the Bible, but this isn't word for word, just so we know. And, and so Jesus is like, okay, you feed them. And the disciples are like, well, we don't know how to feed them. So they go and they find somebody who's got some fish sticks. And uh, so a little boy's got some fish sticks and a roll. And they take him to Jesus and he blesses them. And he just starts breaking stuff off and handing it out. And over and over and over again. And there's 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. I think it's probably, if you count women and children, even more because God can do whatever he wants. His miracles are incredible. And there's even 12 baskets left over. It's just overfull. Everybody's full of God's blessing. And, and then people, rightly so, these poor people, these, these people that are following Jesus, start following Jesus everywhere. They start following Jesus everywhere. Jesus even has to walk on water to get away from them. Man, that's a trick I can't wait to learn in heaven. You know? He's got to walk, and he gets over to the other side in John 6, 24. John 6, 24, and uh, it says this. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got themselves into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because of the signs, but because you ate your fill with the loaves. Yeah, you don't want more of me. You just want something more to eat, Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says this, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Don't work for the things of this world, but follow me, which is the Son of Man, which, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has sent his seal, set his seal. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the things of this world. Believe in me. And then they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? What I want us to understand, the reason why we have a struggle with this verse, the reason why we have an an understanding that sometimes uh, we can live by faith, but yet we feel like we have to do something else is because we act just like these people. When Jesus says, don't seek over the things of the world, seek after me, and our response to him, whether we say it out loud or we say it in our hearts, is we we say to him, well, what do we have to do? How do we work it out? Tell me what to do. Give me the list. Tell me how I need to do this. What can I do to take control of this in my hands, to make sure that I'm doing everything you want me to do? This is a natural response. Every time we want to go deeper with Jesus, every time we want more of him, every time we're convicted that we don't want just the food, we don't just want to be fed, but we truly want to follow him, then we think to ourselves, well, I've got a grasp for something that I have to do on my own. So God, just tell me what to do. 
Tell me how I work it for myself. Tell me how to, how to manage this myself. And then Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. I just have to believe by faith? Yeah, this is where it begins. This is how, where the rest flows from it. This is how we overcome. This is how walking is not burdensome. In that line, that's why Paul, carried by the Spirit in Ephesians 2, writes this. He writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places with Christ so that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one can boast. Do we get that into our hearts? It's not something you did. It's something he did. Paul writes elsewhere that what, God, what we couldn't do, what the law couldn't do, God did by his son, by grace, through faith. And even that's a gift. Brothers and sisters, do you know that if you have a heart that believes in Jesus and has become a son or a daughter of him, it's because God did that to you. Your and my hearts can't even turn from our wicked ways to believe in him. It's 100% him. You know what you do to receive a gift? You put your hand out. You don't have to wrap it. You don't have to purchase it. You put your hand out and you receive it. And immediately you are changed forever. And his spirit comes and lives in you. And following him, having behavior that's different, having a life that is different, having a love for each other, having a love for him is something that he does in us. And you know that you are, you are saved by grace through faith. That anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has come, the new has come. Hallelujah. That's what it means to follow him. And it's not a burden. It's not a struggle. It's receiving everything that he wants to give you and realizing if you receive it and you surrender to the power of his spirit that he will change you forever. And in that place is joy. In that place you read the book of John and you say, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. You don't say, oh, this is too, such a heavy burden, I can't do it. Too long the church has told people that they can't come in these doors because they're not holy enough. No, I worship a God who knew that I wasn't ever going to be holy enough, so he came down from heaven. And when I enter into him, not only does he give me his grace for free, but he doesn't leave me where I was. He doesn't leave me where I am. No, he moves me forward as I surrender to him into something that's new and better every single day. And that's not a burden. That's not a burden. That is victory. That is a place where I can look at my day. I can look at my struggles. I can look at the problems I have with repeating these sinful things that I do over and over again and say, no, this does not have control over me. Sin is no longer my master. I can surrender to Jesus and he has the power to defeat this because he already did 2,000 years ago when he was stretched out on a cross. This is the God I believe in. And it's by faith. It's by receiving it. By stretching my hand out. By believing that by faith, I have a new identity. So I've shared this with some of you before, just a few of you, but I want to share this with you this morning. This is what it looks like 
for real. This is what John is saying. This is what I'm trying to share with you this morning. That God the Father, because of his grace, while you were still dead in your trespasses, looked down to earth and he sent his son, Jesus. By grace, he took every sin of this world on him. That which had been committed and that which will be committed. And he died. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. And he rose again three days later. And all who believe, all who have faith, all who receive this, have a brand new identity. We're sons. We're daughters. We're a new creation. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And from that, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, as we surrender to it, changes us to look more like him. And the overflow of that is obedience and works. And every single day that our hearts, that our behavior is the overflow of our identity, we point to him. And we become more and more unexplainable. Now, some people push back on this and they say, yeah, but, yeah, but what about this? What about this work? What about, what about this change in behavior? If we would just get this, if, church, if we would just get this identity thing right, if you would just understand what God did and who he is and who you are now, then we wouldn't be worried about too much grace and not enough works. Listen, if we would understand that his Holy Spirit is inside of us, That pushes us right to holiness because if I truly understand my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God, the one who is alive, the one who reigns, the one who created everything, lives in me, then it should be everything that I want to do to make sure that nothing in this temple would defile the holy place where God is dwelling. If I really understood that that's what my identity is, if I would truly understand that I am a son of God, that I am a co-heir with Christ, that I am seated in heavenly places even though I am here right now, that the things that would tempt me away from following him, from loving him, from living like he wants me to do would have nothing to do with me. And the output would be holiness. Don't you know that the same grace that saved you is the same grace that wants to make you look like Jesus? Do we not believe this? Do you know what we believe? That God, if we would just know that we're sons, that we're saved, that we're sanctified, would become somebody who lives like Jesus and our unexplainable lives would point people to him. This is what God wants to do. But the reason why this is so tough, the reason why this is such a struggle, the reason why this feels burdensome is because we live in a world that tells us that we have to go this way. We live in a counterclockwise world. We live in a world that says, okay, God's the Father and he's holy and he's worthy. And I magnify his name. He sits in heaven. And you know what? I could never, ever do anything to please him. But I got to figure out a way to do it. Because maybe it's our, our upbringing. Maybe it's our past experience. Maybe it's bad theology that we were taught. Maybe it's the, the church that we were raised in or our, our own parents I don't know what it is. There could be a, a myriad of reasons, but somewhere along the way, we felt like, you know what? The way in order for God to accept me as his, to get over, to have a new identity in him, to be loved by God is to work it out on my own. So we've come up with churches, and we have, we have churches that come up with, with rules that are this long. 
of what it means to be a Christian because we don't trust that the Holy Spirit can change a man's heart. So we have to do it through paper and pen. I'm telling you, it's, if, you if you've never experienced it's true. And we think this is the way because it makes sense to us because our world says, if I want to be better at school, I've got to work harder. If I want to be better in business, I've got to work harder. If I want to be a better dad, I've got to work harder. I've, I've, I've got to work and work and work and work, and that's a great value. And so we put it to our spirituality, and we believe that we can just work it out on our own, and eventually we'll get good enough for God to love us. And that's burdensome. And that's exhausting. And that's not grace. That's not grace at all. That's works. That's a gospel of sin management. It's what it is. This, this is this the right way. This, this picture of the right way is not a gospel of grace, or is, 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 not, a, is, is not a cheap grace. No. It's receiving our new identity in Christ and knowing who we are. Knowing who we are, because if we know who we are in him and who he is in us, it changes everything. And the outflow, the natural outflow of our identity, of knowing who we are as him, is works, is obedience. That's why you'll hear me up here and say, yeah, you've got to know who God the Father is through the Son. And you've got to spend time in prayer. And you've got to spend time in his word. And that's the reason why I so badly want us to be able to have rooms full of kids with people that want to teach them. Because we want our kids to know from the smallest to the tallest the left side of that triangle. Because they're going to go in a world that's counterclockwise. We're going to go, they're going to go out to a world that's going to tell them there's something they're not. And they have to do something to become something they're not. And the things that they're telling them that they have to become or the things that, that slide on the scale to the point of even gender is becoming confused. And we as a church have a responsibility to make sure that our children and our youth are so solid in who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them that the outflow in their life is countercultural. It's clockwise in a counterclockwise culture. That's why I believe that we need to have discipleship. That's why I believe that we need to be a church. And our focus should not be on rules. Our focus should be on Jesus and his word. And I believe that his spirit is powerful enough to transform our hearts. And the outflow is unexplainable. It's an unexplainable life. It's so important because when you don't know your identity, you're always trying to manage your behavior. It's my experience. Maybe it's your experience. But that's not what God wants for you. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Spurgeon. Maybe you've heard of him. Let me read this for a second. Sometimes, let's be honest, he's the prince of preachers for a reason. I'll never be him, so sometimes he writes it better than I do. So listen to him. He says, I preach to you at this time obedience. Absolute obedience to the Lord. Absolute obedience to the Lord. But I preach the obedience of a child, not the obedience of a slave. The obedience of love, not the obedience of terror. The obedience of faith, not of dread. And I urge you, and I ask God to help me in order that you may come to this obedience so that you will seek stronger after the faith of who you are. For by faith Abraham obeyed. And in every case where the father of faith obeyed, it was a result of what? His faith. How do we overcome the world? By faith. 
and in every case in which you and I act in true obedience, it will be a product of our faith. This is Spurgeon. Obedience such as God can accept never comes out of a heart which thinks God is a liar. But it's through how he has made us by the Spirit and through believing in the truth and the love and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. If any of you are now obedient or have been so in the past, the road to better things is faith in God. You cannot hope to render obedience by forcing more conduct into a certain groove. You can't hope by greater obedience by forcing yourself into a groove, by working it out on your own. You can't hope for that. No, or by a personal unaided effort, by working it out. No, there is free grace, and this free grace road to obedience is by receiving by faith the Lord Jesus, who is a gift from God and has given us through the power of God sanctification. Now, if you don't know what that word means, that means that once you receive him in your life, the Holy Spirit's not done with you. That he wants to sanctify you. That you are set apart. That's what it means. You are set apart by God immediately. But there's this progressive power of, his God, of God working in your heart. Present progressive sanctification. You are sanctified, but God is not done with you yet. I am scared sometimes when I listen to the preaching and teaching sometimes that we have in this world where people believe, and I shared this with someone recently, people believe that salvation is the touchdown. No, it's the kickoff. It's the start. And God wants to be at work in your life to bring about obedience and works. Let's get this right, folks. John's clear. All who believe in Jesus are born of God. And they have this new identity and they live into this new identity. And as they live into this identity, they love others who are like them. And they love God more and more and they seek after him. And the outflow of this is obedience at works and they're not burdensome. No, it's free. It's light. That's what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you don't know who you are, though, if you don't know your identity, if you don't get this right, you're always going to be living a counterclockwise life. You're always going to be managing your behavior. Your church life's not going to be your work life. Your work life's not going to be your home life. Your home life's not going to be your church life. No, the power of God makes us incredibly, unexplainably consistent. Because the victory over all of this is ours. And we become unexplainable. Pray with me. Father, we love you. <laughs> we love this truth. Let us never be a church that, that forgets that it's by grace through faith. Not when we had it all figured out. God didn't wait till we, till we took a few steps on getting our, our lives right. No, it says while we were dead in our trespasses, while we were a lost cause, you gave us your son. Lord, there's people in this room right now who still haven't stretched out their hand to receive that. Holy Spirit, I would just ask that you would move on their hearts right now. And that they would take a step of faith and just receive you as Lord of their life. Lord, there's people in this room that have been striving, that are overcome, that are burdened. Lord, they're living in a counterclockwise world. 
when you want them to live for you, to love them as sons and as daughters and pour more of your spirit into their hearts and lives so they can live for you. Lord, set us free this morning so we can walk in a life that is free, that is filled with joy even when the burdens come because we know we've already overcome by our faith. I thank you, Lord, for all of this, and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.